It is 822 Hour One Carrasco Show, and joining us, our good pal, also host of the Employment Hour here on Global News Radio 640, Leor Fero. Hey, pal. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Great to be with you guys. <laughs> Leo, thank you so, so, so much. Uh, this is uh, this is pretty important for me, Leo, because, um, you know, not only you are, um, I've known you for a few years now, but, you know, a good friend and a client. Yep. And uh, I felt that... Um, the car business needs a little bit of Lior injected into it. <laughs> you know, when everyone I, needs a bit of Lior. Somebody suggested, L. <laughs> somebody suggested to me yesterday that when I introduced you, I was going to say a Leo, Leo, pants on fear. But then, it, oh, God, oh, that's Jesus. it. I'm using it. <laughs> no, Done. please don't. Oh, Good. gosh. We do like five shows a week. That's happening. Is that what you're doing? Oh, right? yeah, it's Leo, all over. Leo, Leo, pants on fear. <laughs> Anyways, I, thank you once again. But, uh, you know, I have a list of questions here, uh, Leo, that, uh, you know, perhaps you can help me shed some life into this because I like I said to you before doing the introduction there's a lot of this stuff that happens at car dealerships you know Greg you and I talked a couple weeks ago about doing the show and when we spoke you referred to the 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 car business you said this morning as well as the wild west and I started laughing because I've been saying the exact same thing same words on my show for years it is the wild west and I'm not coming down on car dealerships good people I've known many people represented car dealerships but there's something about it that's stuck in time where you know as the laws develop as people's understanding of the laws developed for some reason doesn't seem to have trickled down to car dealerships. So I think this idea that you've had to do this show together is, is very good and very timely. Well, thank you for that. I haven't been exposed to this on, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I understand how unaware a lot of managers in, in car dealerships around the GTA are of what is allowed and not allowed to be done. Now, and I think that the main reason comes down to this. There is no training for managers. Most managers happen to be the last man standing. So there is no formal training. What are your thoughts on that, Leo? I, I agree. And, and these are things, when it comes to workplace rights, workplace laws, they're not necessarily obvious. There needs to be some training beyond just the actual job that the manager has to do, beyond the technical work, the understanding of, of the nitty-gritty of the business. There has to be an understanding of the overall operation and, and what obligations are, or potentially have a human resource person that's trained, that's dedicated to ensuring compliance with workplace rights, with workplace laws. And I think that in the car business, the focus is always been what do we need to do here in terms of moving cars, in terms of making the business uh, profitable, in terms of serving our customers. But I I think that that is not uh, doing it right, and and it is creating a significant liability for car dealerships. You know, when I first started working for car groups, you see, you got to remember that I I worked for a single point owner operator for the better part of 20 years. So when I when I moved on and uh, you know my position changed and I be- became part of a senior management I I was confronted with an HR department. Now HR departments have a have a purpose. And for me, it was difficult to understand that. For example, if uh, if I have two salespeople that resign for whatever reason, I need to put bodies on those desks now. Mm-hmm. The floor needs to be covered now. And, and what I found as a senior manager was that HR was coming on the way of expediting the process. It was slowing the process down. That became very difficult for me to understand at first. Now, the HR department for our company is an insurance policy. Right. <laughs> Now you are protected in every single aspect, and now there are there are certain things that you need to do in order for you to remain compliant. But I have a few questions here, Leo. That um, sure. 
that I'm going to just fire away to you right now. The first one and the most obvious one. Can you be fired without cause, without being written up or pulled into a formal negative performance review with your supervisor, boss, or a manager? Other than for obvious reasons, you know, you're going to do physical violence or say theft, something right. racist or theft. Can you be fired without cause, without being written up? So this is a great question, and it's one that many people struggle with, and I think a lot of our listeners today are going to be confused by. A termination with, without cause means you're getting compensation, you're getting severance. And when it comes to a termination without cause, an employee generally can be let go at any time and for any reason as long as they get paid the proper severance. And, you know, John and I on our show use, use a car example, believe it or not, and we can say, you know what, an employee, you drive a blue car. We decided we like people with red cars, so we're going to let you go, but you'd have to get paid your full severance. And what the often I see, in the, certainly in the car industry, is people be let go without cause. They didn't do anything so bad. But the company alleges that they did do something that's bad enough to be caused. They jump the gun. They go there before they should. So if you're willing to pay full severance, and by the way, Greg, yeah. severance is a lot more than what people realize. If you're willing to pay full severance, you can let go someone for any reason. Uh, the problem is that either I see in the car industry, they're not getting paid proper severance, or the company tries to pay no severance by saying that it has cause when it really doesn't. This is very interesting. Now... What do you mean they tried to pay no severance? I mean, why, would, why wouldn't an employee that got fired want to pursue that? Well, there's a lot of confusion and misconceptions. An employee may not understand what their rights are. The reason why you know, I've been doing a show for some six years is, is to educate people on rights that they didn't necessarily know that they had. So you may have done something wrong. Maybe you were late a few times, and that's not a good thing. Let's be clear. You know, that is, you that, sorry to interrupt you, Leo. That is exactly the point of my next question, but we need to take a very small break, sure. and we'll be right back to you, Leo. Thank you so much. Stay tuned, folks. Stick around with us. you have any questions for Leo or Greg, uh, throw them to us, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Carrasco Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 833, hour one Carrasco Show. Lior Sanfiru uh, continues with us here. Host, of course, the Employment Hour here in 640. Anytime you need to get a hold of Lior uh, now or any other time, 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmenthour.com. And you, we're back you would know that, John, yeah. wouldn't you? Burned into my brain, buddy. <laughs> so, Lior, here's a question for you. There's, there's a lot of people in the car industry that are under the impression that you need to be written up a minimum of three times for you to be fired with with cost. Now, the question is, can you be fired with cost without being written mm. up or pulled into a formal meeting or, you know, other for the obvious things like physical violence and the same things that I asked you before, but this is with cost without being written up? So remember, termination for cause is the death penalty of the employment relationship. It's it's reserved for the worst offender. So if you commit a, a mortal sin, you you, know, you you hit someone, you steal, you can be fired for cause right away. You don't need to be written up. Yep. Pretty much for any other type of offense, number one, you need to show that there's repeated conduct. And number two, you need to show that you've given the employee the opportunity to improve. You've warned them. You've told them what may happen if they don't get their act together. So, yes, you do need to be written up. Now, whether it's two or three or four times depends on the severity of the offense, depends on how long the person's worked there. If they worked for you for 30 years, they'll deserve more leeway than someone that's worked for you for a few months. Bottom line is if you're going to fire someone for cause, for, for misconduct, bad performance, you have to build the case. You have to have your ducks in a row. And if you don't do that, 
if you skip steps and you still try to terminate someone for cause, you're going to find yourself with a wrongful dismissal on your hands. That's that's very interesting. So, you know, other for, other than the obvious, there's no way that you can fire somebody with cause without proper recourse. So you need to have a file built on this employee, correct? Absolutely. You have to. You need to be able to justify your decision. Ultimately, what you have to show is the, it is the employer. If you're going to fire someone for cause, you need to show that there's just no possibility of rehabilitating this relationship. There's really nothing else we can do. It's a high standard. And, and car industry or outside of car industry, I see employers jumping the gun and jumping the queue much sooner than they should. When it comes to firing people, mm-hmm. right? For cause, exactly. Yeah. So here's another question. If a company, a dealership, has been operating under a certain specific policy for a significant amount of time, I mean, pay plans or, you know, prices and, and so on, and then the company makes a, a policy change that directly affects the income potential of every employee within the organization. Now, number one, is that allowed? Now, number two, what, you know, what does the company need to present to the employees before this happens, to this policy change happens, or to their pay plan, or to the structure of the stuff that's being sold, and what are my obligations as an employer and as an employee? I know it's a loaded question, but I think it all comes down mm-hmm. to only one thing. Yes, no, I agree, and this is a low, but this is an important question and one that comes up so often. So, so let's start with the general proposition that an employer does not have the right to unilaterally change the terms of employment in a significant way. So if you're going to implement a policy, a change that's going to either impact my hours of work or even more importantly, impact my income, I then have the option as the employee to say, no, I'm not going to accept that, and I'm going to treat that as a constructive dismissal, meaning I'm going to act as if this is a termination of my employment and require you to pay me my full severance. So that is what happens when an employer introduces something that changes the terms of employment significantly. Does that include the schedule and you know pay plans and also, for example, uh, the ability, the commission structure? Absolutely. So you may actually implement something that could result in more money in my pocket. Let's say I was a 100% commission and now you changed me to a, a base salary only. That change, okay, given the fact that the, commission, the compensation structure is now significantly different, is and could well be a constructive dismissal. So if I used to work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and now you need me to work uh, uh, on Saturdays and, and you know work uh, 10 to 7 instead, that, again, it's a big deal. It's a significant change. And I can choose to accept it, of course, because I may be happy about that change. But if I'm not happy, I can treat that as a constructive dismissal. But, Greg, there's a simple solution. There's a way to fix this so you never have to worry about a constructive dismissal. And no one that I know in the car industry uses this solution. What is this? And that is have an employment agreement with the employee (laughs) that gives you the power to make changes. It's that simple. Have an employment agreement that says, employee, your job is this, but just so that you know, we reserve the right to make changes to your job or compensation. If that's the employment agreement, guess what? You could do whatever you need to do to run your business, and you don't have to worry about a constructive dismissal. No one that I know, Greg, uses that. Now, here's a question for you. How much money do you think it would cost me to fire John's calls? I'm not, I'm <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. In fact, I think that would be justified. I can't believe it. That was not so my long. joke. That was Todd Bourgeon. In fact, I'm going to have to pay you. <laughs> and I'll represent you for free. Don't worry. <laughs> Let's take a small break and have a pile more questions for you. Don't go anywhere. You know, this is very 
very interesting. Lots more with Lior. Stick around. We'll get to it as we continue here. Hour one Carrasco show. You have questions. 416-870-6400. Star 640. On sale. Carrasco show. Global News Radio. 640 Toronto. It is 842 on your Saturday morning. Lior continues with us again. Lior's number 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmenthour.com. You want to reach out after uh, getting your learn on here this morning? So, you know, just to paraphrase the, uh, the, the, the last answer that if, if you don't have an employment contract that allows the employer to change the conditions of employment within any reasonable notice, they are not allowed to change your, re, you know, your employment conditions, period. Am that I correct is, with this? That is true. Now, there's some leeway. If you're going to make me work uh, 8.30 to 4.30 instead of 9 to 5, that's not a significant change. But, but when we're talking about significant change, and certainly those that impact compensation are significant, the only way you could do that legally is with an employment agreement, a contract of employment that gives you that right, gives you that power. Interesting. Now, so here is something a little bit more more sensitive, if you will. Um you know, what are subtle types of workplace bullying or targeting that are absolute no-nos from an HR legal standpoint? And I'm talking, you know, sexual harassment, intimidation tactics, aggression, offensiveness, and that sort of thing. What are certain things that are, are completely out of line, Lior? Well, you know, that's a very broad list. Really, any type of conduct that objectively would be considered to be unwelcome unwelcome conduct is considered to be workplace harassment, workplace bullying. So it could be anything from, uh, you know, putting someone down, using uh, profane and inappropriate language, uh, exc- even excluding people from meetings that they need to be in, excluding them in the workplace. And not, I'm not even talking about obvious stuff like sexual harassment, which is, of course, a, a huge deal. But any type of conduct that viewed from the outside objectively is unwelcome is considered workplace harassment, and it's inappropriate. And, and it's it's not just inappropriate in the sense of from a from a societal standpoint. It's also inappropriate from a legal standpoint because an employer, car dealership or otherwise, has an objective or a proactive obligation to protect employees from workplace harassment. And when they become aware of that harassment, they have to fix the problem. They can't just say, "Ah, oh, you know, boys will be boys, and so we'll let them do their thing." That is inappropriate. And an employer that does that can find itself with a human rights violation. Uh, constructive dismissal, bad faith conduct and damages, it's a big deal. Now, so here's a question for you, and I know that this may sound extremely obvious, but, uh, you know, believe it or not, you know, there is a lot of stuff that goes missing with obvious things. When are you ever, or if an employee playfully grabs you, is that a problem at work? Yes or no? I would say it's a, certainly a problem. It's a big problem because you don't know who, how things are perceived. You don't know how uh, the, some, the other person is going to see it. So you always, always have to uh, exercise proper decorum at work. You can't assume that just because you're a playful person and you're going to grab someone playfully, that's, that's going to be perceived that way. You know, those, the old way of doing things, the old way of looking as, at it was, ah, what's the big deal? We're just fooling around. That's unacceptable right now, uh, and that is a surefire way to find you, the company, the individual uh, is in, involved in a sexual harassment or a human rights matter. It's not acceptable, and, and it really, it's something that we should be very careful of doing. Now, what if the sexual comments are constantly being made and, and, and the employee has already been written up for this? 
what would happen if the person is higher up in the totem pole? What if it's one of your superiors and there is nothing higher up that you're you can complain? You're supposed to report to them, right? You're supposed yeah. to report to them, but now that very person you're supposed right. to report to is the one that is making the, the comments, is the one that's making the harassment. What do you do then? Because, yeah. you know, I can see the repercussions. You know, you, you take your, you know, your general sales manager, your sales manager, your GM to, uh, to court that you are potentially ruining your career. So uh, it's, it's a big problem. What, what do you think about that? Well, the, the, the good news, I guess, if you want to call it that way, from, from, for employees that are dealing with harassment is, you know, you mentioned going to court. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of these matters don't go within 100 feet of a courtroom. They resolve it because no one wants to go to court. So I always tell individuals, if you need to pursue matters by way of legal action, the law allows and provides for many opportunities to resolve it far, far away from court. But to your specific question... If you've tried to resolve matters internally, but there isn't a, the ability because the person that, that's doing the mistreatment is the one at the top of the food chain, well, the only option you have at that point is to deal with it externally. What I mean is potentially through legal action. You could treat your employment as being constructively dismissed because of this poisoned work environment. You could potentially pursue it as a human rights matter as well. So I always say to people, try to resolve it internally with HR, with your boss. See if the problem can be fixed. If it cannot be fixed internally, you have to go externally. Very interesting. Now, here's another question. Defining proper attire for work is a very, very mm. scary proposition. Because what is allowed, what isn't allowed, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, what is offensive, what is not. I mean, as an, as an employer right now, uh, we are faced with having to talk to people about not wearing certain things. And that in itself could be misconstrued or misunderstood or also punished if it's not taken the right way. How can an employer approach a member of the staff when there are no clear lines of attire? Because, you know, what is allowed in the workplace? I mean, right. we, we, we don't know. I mean, how much cleavage is enough? You know, how tight are those pants? And so on. How do you recommend to deal with this? Because it's, it's a big problem, believe it or not. Yeah, and, and I think you start off by having an overall policy in the workplace in terms of here are the general rules when it comes to proper attire. You need to be dressed professionally. You need to have uh, clothes that, that, that are, are, are not worn out, that are not ripped. Because if you have a policy later when you try to enforce that policy, you're not looking like you're picking on certain employees. Now, the other thing to remember is you cannot have uh, gender-specific uh, rules unless there's a good reason for it. So you can't say, well, uh, uh, you know, women have to wear short skirts. I mean, that those days are gone. Or even ha women have to wear heels. Again, unless there's a reason. If you're in the business of selling heels... Well, you, you, you clearly are not in the restaurant business because in, in a lot of restaurants out there, yeah. you are enforced to do this. Yeah. You force them. Brutal. It's, and, it's and terrible. Then, and those restaurants have been facing over the last couple of years significant legal action because of that. So you, your rules have to have a rationale. Obviously, if you're, you're representing or acting in front of the public, you need to have a certain image. And it's okay to enforce that image as long as your rules are clear, they're reasonable, and they're applied equally for men and for women. You can't be seen to be picking on women and what you certainly can't do Greg is you can't sexualize women you can't say well we want you to look more attractive more cleavage more legs more this because that's good for business that is a human rights violation with a cherry on top what so, about the opposite for, for guys I want you to show your no biceps. no 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 you know to desexualize someone <laughs> yeah. 
Well, because that, I, you know, that has been more of a problem than the opposite, especially in the car industry. So, you know, you're showing too much cleavage yes. or too much legs. So I think that there's it's something about that is okay because, you're, you're again, you're acting to the public. So modesty is appropriate. So desexualizing can be fi fine as long as, again, you're not necessarily picking on someone in an inappropriate way. If you start with the overall policy saying, here are the rules in this workplace, you're going to go a long way to avoiding problems later on. Should we take a phone call, Johnny? Yeah, we'll take uh, Frank. Frank's been hanging on for a while. Alan, I see you too, so we'll get to you as well. Frank, go ahead. Good morning, guys. Hey, pal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, not specific to the car business, although it may or may not happen there as well. Um, if a sales team is commission-based, um, but there is a practice of streamlining leads or customers towards certain salespeople based simply on race or name or language. Um, for example, you know, if uh, uh, an Italian family walks in the door, they get sent to the Italian sales guy, right. regardless of who's sitting around waiting for, mm -hmm. for customers. Uh, if a person appears Asian, the Chinese guy gets them because there is some commonality. So what is the question, Frank? So the question is, A, does the balance or do the other staff members have uh, recourse because they are missing out on potential commissions? Um, it's it almost, I don't want to say reverse discrimination, but that's kind of what I'm thinking we would call it. Okay, let's let Leo answer that question. Leo, any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, you cannot be treated in, in a certain way or not be treated in a certain way just because of your race, your ethnicity, uh, your, your place of origin. So, so if others are treated better than you or differently than you because of where they're from, that's a human rights violation. That's illegal. The, the reality is that the recourse here, you know, if the matter can't be resolved internally, is to file a human rights complaint against the, the employer. And for many people, that wouldn't be an attractive option because you want to continue working. So what I would say is document that. And then when you have some, some information, some documented information, go to speak to HR, go to speak with the boss, Tell them here's what's happening. Give them the opportunity to fix the problem so that they're aware of it. And if that doesn't fix it, you have to make a decision. Do you want to pursue it or not? But I can tell you that what you've described is actually illegal. Interesting. Frank, appreciate your call. We'll get to you as well. Alan, lots more with Lior here. Hour one of the Carrasco Show continues. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Last few minutes yes, uh, here with Lior talking about employment laws that pertain to not only the uh, car dealership scenario, or uh, but uh, people in general. Alan, we'll get you in quickly here. What's your question? Alan? A plant closed and I wasn't fired or laid off. It was an unconditional release. They gave me termination pay. I was there eight years. They gave me four weeks termination pay. Is there a difference between termination pay and severance pay? Because I was told that I can still sue for wrongful dismissal. At my advanced age, it's very difficult for me to find another job mm -hmm. in a plant. And I talked to a foreman. He was there for 25 years. He got 21 weeks notice and 21 weeks pay oh. because he was. it was almost impossible for him to find another job. Can I still sue for wrongful dismissal even though I got my four weeks termination pay after eight years there? Now, Alan, were you part of a union? Yes, I was. 
So, so I have I have bad news, uh, and, and this is a very important, uh, Greg, for our, our listeners today yeah. to, to understand, is that when it comes to unionized employees, different rules apply, and, and when it comes to protections, there are very few protections, especially when it comes to severance uh, for unionized employees. You get a fraction of what a non-unionized employee would get. Really? So, no, oh, you yeah. cannot sue uh, your employer or pursue legal action against the employer for unionized. The union has to pursue a grievance. So... This, let me give you an example, Greg. This person, after eight years, I don't know too much about them, yeah. but they probably could have been owed 10 or 12 months of severance, uh, whereas in the unionized environment, he's probably stuck with four weeks pay. Uh, a very big difference and an unfortunate situation. So that's not a good idea to be in a union. Is that, what, is, is that the general message? Here? The front end, it's fine. The back end, no. <laughs> really? Yeah. If, if you lose your job, you are far, far better off not being a unionized employee than being a unionized employee. Oh, wow. And uh, very quick question. When you are reprimanding an employee, uh, Leo, do you recommend to have somebody else in the room with you? Well, I actually recommend you do it in writing, to be honest with you, uh, because even if you have someone in the room with you, things could be uh, you know, lost in translation, misrepresented. So to me, uh, you can have someone in the room with you or you could do it verbally as long as you then pursue it or, or follow up in writing. My rule is simple. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So I know it's an extra step, but if you're going to reprimand someone, put that in writing, say, confirming what we discussed today, that this is what happens and this is what we expected uh, from you. Give the employee a copy. They don't need to sign anything. Keep a copy in the file. If you do that, you'll never go wrong. So you don't even need to speak to them. Just send an email. That works just fine. If you want to speak, absolutely. Mm. But as long as it's in writing, I'm happy and you've done what you're supposed to. Leo, I, I have to thank you tremendously. You know, I, I have about 50 questions here and we only got through four. <laughs> uh, that goes to tell you the, the vacuum that we have in the car industry for some guidance, some legal guidance. Uh, you know, I, I strongly encourage car dealerships. Uh, in general, people that work within it and um, that manage this sort of businesses to get themselves educated in what is allowed. Totally. There are so many things that are being done in car dealerships. This very second, this very morning, Leo, there are sales meetings all across Ontario and in the country in which every single HR harassment policy is being <laughs> violated. Yes. And it's, it happens, it's impervious. It's everywhere. Now, what do you suggest that we do? I mean, to educate ourselves on this. Well, I, I suggest that everyone equip themselves with a, an HR uh, manager that actually does more than just necessarily hiring people. Now, that's number one. Number two is have someone you can call with questions. Someone like myself, you don't like me, have someone else like me that you can call with questions. Have proper employment agreements in place. Have proper policies that set things up correctly right at the front end. And you know what? Maybe attend a seminar. There's so many seminars out there about, about legal obligations. Inform yourself. Education is the key. Uh, you can't just assume that because it seems right to you, it is right legally. It's not the case. You know, I, I have to give you a, an, an open invitation, Leo, because I think that we could most likely do a three-hour show on this. <laughs> I'm not joking. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for shedding some light in some, some of these obscure things about the car industry. You are a, a, a gentleman. So whenever you need me, you know where to find me. Thank you. Where can people find Leo? Leo is simple. It's one 821 5900 Of course, the Employment Hour here rolls uh, all week on Global News Radio AM 640 and help at employmenthour.com. Leo, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you in like thank a day you, buddy. or two. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thank man. you. Bye-bye.